Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. Happy Thanksgiving to you. I hope you guys, wherever you are this week, have a great week. I know a lot of people are on the road uh, for the holiday. Some are already there. Some are already eating. Uh, lots of pie this week, among other things. Uh, the, this just in, the Waukesha uh, suspect, Daryl Brooks, who ran over people in that parade, uh, was arrested less than a month ago for running over a woman with his car at a gas station. The news media wants you to know he was fleeing a knife fight uh, when he decided to run those people over at the parade. Mm, we'll see. Now, I want to start this hour with phone calls because we've had a lot of people on hold and I want to get to them. Some have already hung up. They got tired of waiting. I'm sorry. I had stuff to say. I want to begin, though, with John, who grew up in San Francisco. John, welcome to the program. Uh, hello. Happy Thanksgiving, Eric. And you just too. to tell you, I am thankful for my wife and my kids and very thankful I no longer live in California. <laughs> yeah, um, be thankful for that. I just, hippies yeah. just ruined the place. <laughs> oh, it, it was beautiful. But rem- I, I lived there when Ronald Reagan was governor of California. Oh, wow. Back, back in the olden days. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and it was a beautiful state, but politics have destroyed it. The, the one thing that I did want to point out, and you did it kind of in your comment, I didn't grow up in in San Francisco. I grew up about 10 miles north of Walnut Creek. And I know you're familiar with Atlanta. They keep talking about Walnut Creek like it's this metropolitan area in the middle of San Francisco. Walnut Creek, if if you equated it to Atlanta, would be like Alpharetta. It is out there. It is a a somewhat affluent suburb. My wife used to work at that Nordstrom and it's in a very high-end um, strip mall area, you know, walking uh, public shopping area. Uh, this is not an urban area at all. Now, I know they did hit the, the Nordstrom in Union Square, which is right in the middle of downtown San Francisco. And I know every state, thankfully, is not California. But these kind of actions are, you know, the people that are saying, well, look out, it's coming to the suburbs. Well, that's the suburbs, and that's uh, where they yeah. leave. Um, so I've got it on the map now, John. And yeah, I see where it is. It's it's on the other side of Oakland. Um, you got to cross the the heart of San Francisco Bay there and go through Oakland uh, to get over there. Yeah, you're yeah definitely out of the suburbs. That that definitely puts it in perspective. Uh, so okay, so you lived out there. Let let me let me probe this for just a little bit here because I'm just fascinated with the the Berkeley. San Francisco area where they tolerate what seems to the rest of us so much insanity. And it seems like they, I mean, what's in the culture out there that, that they do this? I don't know. Cause I still try to ask my brother who is politically aligned more with like you and I, who still lives out there, but it's because his, his kids are there. Um, I think it's just a holdover from the whole, you know, sixties mentality that started in Berkeley and in the, you know, in the university and in the university system, San Francisco has always been a little bit different, but I would tell you that, that again, when you start getting further out um, now in the central Valley of California is very conservative. It's, it's rural, it's agricultural. Mm -hmm. I have friends that have ranches out there and, you know, there's a Paul to the things that go on in San Francisco and Berkeley as as anyone else would be. Um, I, I think it's just the city and that 
metropolitan area, just like you see in San Francisco, Berkeley's tied to it, and then in Los Angeles, just kind of overwhelms everything else. Um, I, I guess that's I, I don't know if it's know, something in the water or what. Yeah, I, I know a lot of people who are leaving the area, who, who went out there because of the tech community out there, went out there really to some degree because of the, the, the culture, the perceived progressivism, and they're packing up and leaving, realizing that it's kind of a, a failed societal experiment, and, and the people they're leaving behind are the ones who are okay with it. So it just seems like it's going to get worse, not better in the San Francisco area. And I think it will. I mean, even a few years ago, I made the mistake uh, when my parents were still alive, I went to the San Francisco airport to pick up my son when he was flying in instead of just letting him take, you know, BART, which is like, you know, the, the metro system. And, and because of traffic, we were driving through a lot of San Francisco and it looks like a third world country with tents everywhere and shacks under freeway overpasses. Um, and you're right. The people that can leave are, and a lot of those people that moved out there for all those great high tech jobs are realizing that, you know, paying a million dollars for a, for a uh, two bedroom, you know, small apartment or, or house somewhere is insane. And, yeah, uh, yeah. and they're getting the heck out of there. You know, it's back to the stories of you can't, you can't rent a U-Haul to get out of there because it costs a small fortune, but they'll gladly let you drive one in for free because they need more every day because yeah, everybody's leaving. Truth. Yeah, you know, it's funny you should say that. And I'll, I'll, John, I'll let you go there. I appreciate very much the, the phone call and the perspective, but i got a buddy of mine uh, lives just south of San Francisco. His house is no bigger than my house. So my house is maybe 4,000 square feet on a half acre of land. And he's got a quarter acre of land and his house, it may be a little bit bigger than mine, less than 5,000 square feet. He does have a pool. His house is valued at over $7 million. It's insane. My house is not even valued at like a half million dollars. Um, it's it's a, a, a couple hundred thousand dollars when we did the refi. Uh, and his is like five to $7 million dollars on a smaller lot of land and a house not a whole lot bigger than mine. It, it, it's And I got a garage as part of mine, and he didn't. It just mind-blowing to me, the values. But, you know, when, when Christian and I first got married, we lived in a little house. Uh, it was a three-bedroom, two-bathroom, uh, maybe 2,000 square feet. It had been built in the 1950s. And I had a job. I was going back and forth to Washington, D.C., and for a while I was living with uh, my buddy Mike. And he was in a house, had uh, less land than us. His house was the same size as ours, built in the same year. And his house, our house was valued at a hundred thousand, ninety-five to a hundred thousand dollars. His house was nine hundred thousand dollars in Washington D.C. So this is absurd. And he rented. He didn't buy. He rented. Like, how can people do that? Which is why in in Big areas like that and, and in the Atlanta area to a degree, you have so many people who live out and have to commute in because it's so expensive. And now inflation is making everything worse. Speaking of inflation, Jerome Powell, the president, is renominating to chair of the Federal Reserve, and he wants the chairman of the Federal Reserve to take on climate change. Now, here's the thing. The Federal Reserve has two distinct things that they're supposed to look at. 
inflation, and employment. They're not supposed to look at climate change. They're, it is outside their wheelhouse. They're looking at inflation, and they're to look at employment. And to a degree, they can be related. The Fed's primary responsibility is to guard against inflation, and they're failing at that, which is very interesting because you'll hear a lot of uh, media outlets these days say, actually, the Fed is supposed to be focused on employment. That's not really true. Their number one job beyond the supply of money, but it's directly related to the supply of money, is inflation. And they're doing a terrible job of that. NBC News right now is running a story about what to do with your costs and how to keep up with costs for Thanksgiving. And one of the things they're suggesting is maybe perhaps you should give up having turkey for Thanksgiving. Maybe perhaps you should give up having turkey for Thanksgiving. This is I, I'm just I'm I'm flabbergasted by so much of the media going into into defense mode right now that they can't even acknowledge the fact that perhaps a middle class America can't sustain themselves in ways that they themselves wish that uh, the middle class can't prop itself up and keep itself functioning in ways the rich can, in ways the left can. I, I don't understand the disconnect here from a lot of people in mainstream media outlets who they, they do surveys, they do research on what the middle class in America is interested in. I, I know Fox does. I work there. I worked at CNN. I, I know they do this research. The conversations going on in middle America. And I have never seen so many people so willfully willing to give a big middle finger to the middle class right now and act like they, they don't understand, act like it's the middle class's problem, act like the middle class is the one who that needs to scale back, act like the middle class is the problem, that their consumerist society is, is what we all need to turn from. I find it insulting. I find it deeply, deeply troubling that the American media that is supposed to connect to America, reflect America, and explain what's going on has become grossly disconnected from what's actually happening in society. And then to go out and tell you that, well, maybe you just need to stop buying stuff. Maybe if you stopped buying stuff, we wouldn't have the problem. Maybe if you would go tofurkey instead of turkey, you would be a-okay. I'm I'm just, the whole spin on this, the whole willfulness to insult you and belittle you and tell you what you know isn't true, that it is true, it makes no sense to me unless you understand this. So much of our mainstream media outlets, the press corps, they've picked sides. You can say OAN, Fox News, Newsmax, they've picked the conservative side, they've picked Donald Trump. But if you want to say that, you should also say that CNN and MSNBC, ABC, CBS, NBC, the New York Times, the Washington Post, 
USA Today, the Los Angeles Times, they've all picked the left. And they overwhelmingly these days reflect the concerns of the left. And so much of the left now doesn't live in the heartland doesn't live in what what some will call flyover country, but lives in coastal enclaves where they don't have to come into touch with. They don't have to, uh, they, they don't have to engage with people who disagree with them. They no longer understand them. They no longer do connect to them. It's just, it, it, all of it is really deeply problematic because it shows a media detached from the lives that you and I have. To go through the whole idea of ditching the turkey for Thanksgiving, a traditional staple in the American household because it's gotten expensive because of the policies of this administration. I just, I, I find it bizarre that we're even here. And this morning with inflation on the rise, prices are going up on everything from your Thanksgiving meal to your gifts for the holidays. Yeah, but this morning we're going to show you how to keep those costs down. NBC's investigative and consumer correspondent Vicki Wynn is here to help us out. I was hoping she'd show up with some recipes as well, but we'll get to that <laughs> in a moment, Vicki. So first things first, as we look to the Thanksgiving dinner table, what are some of the best ways to save some money? Yeah, you guys talked about it. Inflation is up, Kristen and Peter, 6.2% since last October. That's real money. Meatflation, shrinkflation, all the flations Carrie Sanders has been talking about, right? So this is the year you want to set a budget for your meal, and that is what's going to help you plan your menu, working on that budget. I also want to say the art of coupon clipping is not dead, and in fact, it's gone high tech. Consumer Reports is recommending a couple of apps. We've tried them out. They're pretty cool. Basket is one of them. The other is called Flip, F-L-I-P-P. -P. And really all it does is you put in your zip code and they'll pop up all the local store ads in your area. That way you can compare right then and there who's got the cheapest price on turkey this week. That may be where you want to do your Thanksgiving shopping. The other thing to consider is store brands. The quality has gone way up. That's another spot you can save money. And then when you're at the store, consider buying the raw ingredients, right? Making things from scratch as much as you can. Cutting up the vegetables and the cheese will be cheaper than buying that pre-made platter. The last tip I have for you is right after this show, of course, you may want to get out there to the stores. The longer you wait, the less selection you may have with all the randomness and unpredictability of the supply chain. I don't want you to go to the store on Tuesday or Wednesday and not find some of your favorites. Yeah, don't procrastinate. Always a good lesson. So, Vicki, look, whether you're hosting, whether you're not, what conversation should families be having about keeping the cost low of the big meal? Then she goes on to say, and I don't want to keep playing this clip because it goes on too long, to maybe ditch the turkey. No. She had some great advice there. But encouraging people to ditch the turkey, maybe we need to ditch the present political administration. Uh, and that might help bring costs down. The president renominating Jay Powell to be the Federal Reserve Chairman wants to charge him with overseeing climate change as opposed to the inflation raging in the economy. How bad at politics are these people? It's just befuddling. I actually talked to someone the other day who had a brilliant theory that explains what's going on with the Biden administration. I hadn't thought of, but actually the more I think about it, it actually makes perfect sense. I'll explain it when we come back. Holiday seasons are upon us and you got to start thinking about gifts, particularly now with all the supply chain nonsense out there. You want to get a good gift. You want to get a thoughtful gift. And did you know we spend a third of our lives in bed? 
So pure organic cotton sheets from Bowl and Branch make a truly special gift. They make the highest quality sheets by doing things the right way, not the easy way. My wife, by the way, loves Bowl and Branch sheets. She really does. So I got to tell you, they're comfortable. The sheets, they fit perfectly. The fitted sheets are great. They're not going to shrink. In fact, they're going to get softer over time. I can tell you because we sleep under them. It's a husband and wife team, Scott and Missy Tannen. They founded Bull and Branch to create a new standard in bedding by doing things the right way. Again, they don't do the easy way. They do the right way. They've got high thread count, premium cotton, and it gets so soft. Treat yourself and your loved ones to the new standard embedding from Bull and Branch. Their gifts come wrapped and ready in their special holiday packaging. If you order by December 19th, you get guaranteed delivery by Christmas. The best deals of the year are going now from November 18th to November 22nd with promo code ERIC, E-R-I-C-K, at BolandBranch.com. That's B-O-L-L and Branch.com. The promo code is ERIC, E-R-I-C-K. Exclusions may apply. Welcome back. The phone number, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Guy Benson has a story on uh, townhall.com. Growing evidence, is there a right trending political alignment among Hispanics? If this defection of the South Texas Republican were merely a one-off event, I'm not sure it would merit much attention, but it's not. Let's walk through some of the breadcrumbs. Over the last year or so, Republicans have made major gains in South Texas, boosting revitalized and surging support among Hispanics. Major news organizations have taken notice and written about the emerging phenomenon. Here's an excerpt from the New York Times, published in May. Hispanic Republicans, especially women, have become something of a political rock star in South Texas after voters in the Rio Grande Valley shocked leaders in both parties in November by swinging sharply toward the GOP. In McAllen, Texas, one of the region's largest cities, Mr. Trump received nearly double the number of votes he did four years earlier. In the Rio Grande Valley, all overall, President Biden won by just 15 percentage points, a steep slide from Hillary Clinton's 39-point margin in 2016. The conservative surge and liberal decline has buoyed the Republican Party's hopes about its ability to draw Hispanic voters into what has long been an overwhelmingly white political coalition and to challenge Democrats in heavily Latino regions. And in the Wall Street Journal, they also covered it. Though Mr. Biden prevailed, the fallout of support in historically loyal but socially conservative regions signaled trouble for the Democratic Party. Many counties in South Texas are more than 90% Hispanic, traditionally the state's bluest but they're shifting. Republicans won the June mayoral race in a Hispanic border city in Texas. Republican gubernatorial nominees in Virginia and New Jersey improved significantly over Hispanics, in some cases 30 to 40% shift in their direction. A state legislative seat in Texas flipped red in a special election this month in which a Latino Republican won a district that went for Biden by 14 points a year earlier and is three-quarters Hispanic. And then Ray Gillen in the Rio Grande City, Texas, a Democrat, has switched to the GOP. There appears to be something going on in the country. It appears as the Democrats are moving further and further left, Hispanic voters are beginning to shift to the right. And it's not a surprise that these people fled socialist regime regimes in Central and South America. And they came here. And now the Democratic Party is shifting rapidly towards the very positions they fled from. And the cultural craziness among the left, the real culture warriors, the Biden administration is introducing new regulations. 
faith-based hospitals will, according to the Biden administration, be required to perform abortions and same-sex transition surgeries. There will be no exceptions for their religion, which raises the question, who are the culture warriors? We will get into this when we come back. Y'all, from the moment I sat in my X chair, my body said, this is what a real office chair is supposed to be like. I had, gosh, I had gone through office chairs, and then I got my X chair, and it is the perfect chair. In fact, my X chair, unlike your chair, can massage my back while I'm sitting doing three hours of talk radio. It can even heat up and cool down depending on my office, which tends to run hot in the summer and cold in the wintertime. And it's all in the LMX massage and temperature regulation exclusively designed for the X-Chair. And once you feel the customized support of X-Chair's patented dynamic lumbar DVL, they call it, dynamic variable lumbar, your back's going to be happy. What I need you to do, you got to go check out the X-Chair because I bought the, y'all know the expensive brand and I bought it. It was a good chair. It actually was a really good chair. And X-Chair takes it to the next level. What you need to do is go to xchaireric.com now. That's X, the letter X, chair, E-R-I-C-K.com, or call 844-4-X-Chair for $100 off your order. X-Chair has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort. You can finance your purchase for as little as $30 a month. It's xchaireric, E-R-I-C-K.com. It is worth it. Hi there, it's Eric Erickson here. Glad to have you with me. I want to go take one more phone call before we move on. Don't want to keep Bob waiting. Bob, welcome to the program. How are you doing? I'm great. How about yourself? Sure. I'm doing just fine. Um, I listen to your show all the time, and and I was just wondering. I heard a comment today, not today, yesterday morning. Uh, watching, just flipping through the TV. And one of the stations had a guy on there, and he said that the red states were the cause of gas prices going up. And he indicated 10 states, and he showed 10 states, a map of the United States. And on these 10 states, they were red, and he says, these guys are agriculture out here in the mid Northwest and they drive pickup trucks and big trucks moving their agriculture stuff around. And they're, they're driving up the gas prices in the United States. And then they referred to Georgia and said, if you've ever been to Atlanta, you know, the traffic is just really horrendous there. And so that's another state that's driving up the gas prices. <laughs> and that just bothered me so bad. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I so, didn't know if you had ever heard this or. No, but like I'm not surprised. Uh, remember last week they were telling us it was a it was a global thing. It wasn't just an American thing. And, and I have a hard time believing 10 red states are driving up global prices uh, of, of gasoline. No, it's, it's, it's not correlation and causation are, are silly things. Uh, just because there are a lot of people in these red states who drive vehicles doesn't mean that they're the ones causing gas prices to go up. Because I assure you, in New York and Illinois and, and Los Angeles, there are lots more people than in several of these states, and gas prices are going up there too. And they got a whole lot of people in non-electric cars. Um, that's just silly well, I, partisanship. I told my, I'm sorry. I, I told my wife I was like, you know, the way that I look at that, if if, if we're the states that are driving it up. I'm going to work. I have mm-hmm. to go to work. 
these other states aren't going to work evidently. Yeah, apparently not. Apparently not. Now, now, Bob, before I let you get off here, I got to ask you, what are you thankful for this holiday? I'm thankful for my family. I'm thankful for my small business. I'm thankful for people like you who are keeping me well informed and and trying to to keep me in a sane mind. <laughs> well, I appreciate. Okay, so what's your small business? I have a small plumbing business. Oh, nice. You know, you guys, y'all are doing a lot of work now. It has been so hard to find a plumber around around my parts these days because everybody is tied up with either home improvement or stuff they put off during COVID they're now having to address. I bet you're, I mean, working constantly now. Yeah, we were we were considered essential, I guess you would say, during the whole COVID aspect yeah. and everything. So uh, it's uh, it's been, uh, yeah, we've been pretty busy. Yeah, I bet so. Well, listen, you have a great, I'm great really holiday. Thankful for it. Well, good. You too, and I sure appreciate you, so you taking my call. Absolutely, Bob. Thank you for calling in. Uh, now I, I got to get to the story. This is this kind of was mind blowing. I didn't believe it at first, and then I found a, a legit source for it: the National Catholic Register, no less. Health and Human Services is planning a new rule to mandate healthcare providers comply with abortion and gender transition agendas, with no religious freedom exception. Recent court filings uncovered by the Catholic Benefits Association show Health and Human Services is working with activist groups to establish sweeping sex discrimination regulations and dismantle the Trump administration's religious liberty protections in the health care law. It's from Peter Jesser Smith. The Biden administration's HHS is developing these new regulations in close consultation with the coalition of activist groups. They would impose an abortion, end-of-life, and sexual health agenda without religious freedom exceptions. The new rule in development has the potential for adverse effects on Catholic employers, but could prove devastating to Catholic health care providers, including Catholic hospitals that care for one in six hospital patients in the United States. According to an August 13th court filing uncovered by attorneys for the Catholic Benefits Association and provided exclusively to the National Catholic Register, the HHS and its Office of Civil Rights informed the U.S. District Court of the District of Columbia it was working on a new rule that would replace the 2020 rule established by the Trump administration. The Catholic Benefits Association's membership includes 71 Catholic dioceses representing a third of the U.S. dioceses uh, and more than 1,000 affiliated members such as charities, hospitals, universities, and small businesses. The Trump administration revised a 2016 regulation of the Obama administration that required doctors to perform gender transition surgeries or refer patients for them despite objections they would have the procedure and required insurance coverage for gender transition surgeries. A pair of legal cases resulted in permanent injunctions against the regulations. In August, legal filings revealed HHS is working on a new rule that would dispose of the Trump administration's exception and exceed the Obama regulations by expanding the scope of what discrimination on basis of sex means. Essentially, if you are a religious organization, you will be required to cover abortions and gender transition surgeries and in some cases, end-of-life practices that border on euthanasia. They don't respect the religious conscience, and that's unfortunate. But this is where we are, and, and I can't believe this hasn't gotten the exposure that it should 
And it is deeply, deeply, deeply troubling that we are here. Progressive activists in this country are deeply hostile to the First Amendment. They are hostile to free speech. They don't want you to be able to speak up. Remember that uh, critical theorists embrace the idea that there are dominant discourses in the country and, and to upend the country and reverse oppression, you must silence the dominant discourse, which they believe are, are the, the conservative things that a lot of people say. They got to be silenced. They also are opposed to religious freedom. So here comes the National Catholic Register with an exclusive from the Biden administration, and it shows that the Biden administration intends to deploy new regulations that would require faith-based institutions cover abortions and, in particular, gender reassignment surgeries. Uh, Catholic hospitals are being more than likely specifically targeted by this. In fact, uh, the uncovered memo by lawyers in a court case show, quote, the memo takes explicit aim at religious exemptions from government mandates and specifically criticizes the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops' ethical and religious directives that govern Catholic health care providers. According to the memo authored by the Biden administration's Health, of Human, Health and Human Services Office of Civil Rights, quote, religious exemptions have serious and harmful implications. They are thought of as a way to prevent or to preserve religious freedom and independence. However, they often come as a societal cost that can impact other community members. Impacts of a religious exemption cannot be siloed from other areas of society. In other words, they don't like it that particularly Catholic hospitals that serve one in six Americans have opted out of providing gender transition surgeries and abortions, and they wish to force them to comply. This very devout Catholic president, you know, wants to force Catholics to violate their freedom of religion and violate their conscience and what their religion teaches. So Catholic of him, you know. It's striking to me that this has not gotten a lot of attention. And yet here it is in black and white from the National Catholic Register. The war on Christianity, the war on religion by this administration continues. So who are the real culture warriors here? That's something I don't think gets asked enough. Who are the real culture warriors? Are it the Is it the ones who wish to preserve the status quo of religious freedom? Or is it the Biden administration progressives who wish to impose their values on others? You know, if, if you want an abortion or you want a gender reassignment surgery, there are plenty of hospitals to go to. To force devoutly Christian organizations to do it is absurd. And yet this is where we are because they are the culture warriors. They are the ones who wish to impose themselves on everyone else. It's shameful, and I suspect you're going to see pushback from the court systems that have already enjoined the Obama administration's regulations, and the Biden administration regulation seems to be going even beyond it. Absurd. Now, before I get out of here, I would be remiss if I didn't read this to you. Until 1863, in the United States of America, uh, states themselves would proclaim their Thanksgiving holidays. George Washington the first president proclaimed the first American Thanksgiving and they became uh, traditions, but often it was the state governors, not the presidents who would proclaim them. And they would happen at different days and different times around the country. Sarah Josepha Hale 
is a 74-year-old magazine editor who had been on a nationwide campaign for years as the editor of Goaty's Ladies Book to have a nationwide day of Thanksgiving. She petitioned every president to do it. Many of the presidents rebuffed her. 74 years before Abraham Lincoln established a national Thanksgiving Day with uniformity, George Washington had declared the first, but thereafter they had just kind of become things that were done, but things that were done largely by the governors and not by the presidents. On October 3rd, 1863, President Lincoln released the Thanksgiving proclamation that set it as the last Thursday or the fourth Thursday in November. William Seward, the Secretary of State, actually authored it. The year that is drawing toward its close has been filled with the blessings of fruitful fields and healthful skies. To these bounties, which are so constantly enjoyed that we are prone to forget the source from which they come, others have been added, which are of so extraordinary a nature that they cannot fail to penetrate and even soften the heart, which is habitually insensible to the ever watchful providence of Almighty God. In the midst of a civil war of unequaled magnitude and severity, which has sometimes seemed to foreign states to invite and provoke their aggressions, peace has been preserved with all nations, order has been maintained, the laws have been respected and obeyed, and harmony has prevailed everywhere except in the theater of military conflict while that theater has been greatly contracted by the advancing armies and navies of the Union. Needful diversions of wealth and of strength from the fields of peaceful industry to the national defense have not arrested the plow, the shuttle, or the ship. The axe has enlarged the borders of our settlements, and the miners, as well as of ore and coal as to the precious metals, have yielded even more abundantly than heretofore. Population has steadily increased, notwithstanding the waste that has been made in the camp, the siege and the battlement, and the country, rejoicing in the consciousness of augmented strength and vigor, is preserved to expect continuance of years with large increases of freedom. No human counsel hath devised, nor hath any mortal hand worked out these great things. They are the gracious gifts of the Most High God, who, while dealing with us in anger for our sins, has nevertheless remembered mercy. It has seemed to me fit and proper that they should be solemnly, reverently, and gratefully acknowledged as with one heart and one voice by the whole American people. I do therefore invite my fellow citizens in every part of the United States and also those who are at sea and those who are sojourning in foreign lands to set apart and observe the last Thursday of November next as a day of thanksgiving and praise to our beneficent Father who dwelleth in the heavens. And I recommend to them that while offering up the ascriptions justly due to him for such singular deliverances and blessings, they do also with humble penitence for our national perseverance and disobedience, commend to his tender care all those who have become widows, orphans, mourners, or sufferers in the lamentable civil strife in which we are unavoidably engaged and fervently implore the inner position of the almighty hand to heal the wounds of the nation and to restore it as soon as may be consistent with the divine purposes to the full enjoyment of peace, harmony, tranquility, and union. In testimony whereof I hereunto set my hand and cause the seal of the United States to be affixed. Done at the city of Washington this third day of October in the year of our Lord, 1863, and of the independence of the United States, the 88th. 
Abraham Lincoln, by the President, authored by William Seward, Secretary of State, the Thanksgiving proclamation that set the last Thursday in November. As our Thanksgiving now affixed by Congress the fourth Thursday in November, every year we gather with family and friends around the dinner table, hopefully to avoid politics, but to remember the things we are thankful of. There is so much to be thankful of, even in these chaotic times. And I hope everyone here has a wonderful Thanksgiving. We'll be back. Hello there, it's Eric Erickson. So I teased something a little while ago on, on a friend of mine explained to me the Biden administration and what's going on. You, you know, a lot of people think that he's he's not in control, that that he's just the figurehead and other people are pulling things behind the scenes. And I've said he, he's making the, the final call. Well, a, a friend of mine who worked for years in the U.S. Senate explained it to me. And it actually makes a lot of sense. Joe Biden served for about 50 years in the United States Senate. In the United States Senate, typically what happens to senators who've worked there for a very long time, they outsource their Senate office to their chief of staff. And the chief of staff makes most of the decision-making. And the way it works is that people all go to the chief of staff, in this case, Ron Klain, who was also with Biden in the Senate. And Ron Klain then vets all the information and decides what he wants to do. So Ron Klain then takes all that information to the president and provides the president with his recommendation and provides him all the data that led him to the recommendation to get Biden to sign off on it. So it's President Ron Klain more than President Biden. At the end of the day, Biden's in charge and Biden makes the decision and Biden can overrule the chief of staff. But Biden is, by and large, being given all of his information from the chief of staff. And the chief of staff curates the information in such a way as to allow Joe Biden to come to only one possible conclusion. That's the way it works in the Senate. The Senate chiefs of staff, by and large, are the people who are engaged making the decisions. And then they go to the senator and they get the senator to to bless the decision that the chief of staff has come up with. And they present the senator the various options and, and steer them towards the outcome the chief of staff wants. The chief of staff tends to be very powerful. That's how every Senate office works. There are some Senate offices where the individual senators are more engaged than others. The younger senators tend to be more engaged. The the Ted Cruz's, the Josh Hawley's, uh, the the Tom Cotton's, the Mike Lee's, uh, the they, the Joni Ertz, they, they tend to be very much more involved. The older senators, the Schumer's, the Leahy's, the Biden's, even the McConnell's to a degree, they allow the chief extraordinary say in making the day-to-day decisions. And, and guiding the senator on how to vote on issues. That makes a ton of sense to me. That's what's going on here. Ron Klain is allowing Joe Biden to make the decision, but ultimately Joe Biden is being provided the information to arrive at the decision Ron Klain wants Joe Biden to arrive at. And you can see so often Joe Biden's decisions reflected in the paths Ron Klain goes down on Twitter. And the people he retweets on on Twitter, it's it's a fascinating dynamic. Uh, and what is baffling to me is why Ron Klain still has a job. Well, I guess we kind of know he's sheltering Joe Biden from the fallout of the decision-making process because Joe Biden lives inside a bubble that is curated by Ron Klain. That, I think, actually explains everything that has happened and does so very well from someone who uh, was in the Senate when Joe Biden was there and thus knows how Joe Biden operated his Senate office. He's taking the way he ran his Senate office and applying it to the White House. There you have it. Now, 
As for the rest of the day, today, hopefully you will have downtime and you don't have to stress about politics. Maybe turn off the news this whole week. Rest, relax, enjoy your family, eat some pie. Uh, lots of pie eating this week. As for me, I'm going to leave here and I'm going to go to the gym for a little while and have it all to myself to burn off the calories of the well, slice of buttermilk pie and slice of pecan pie and slice of pumpkin pie, slice of Kentucky Derby pie that I may or may not have consumed in the last few days. <laughs> There's been a lot of pies in my neighborhood, in my life in the last few days. You guys have a great day. I will be back here tomorrow with you, I promise. See you all then. And you thought these last two years were crazy. Welcome to 2022. It's coming up and nothing makes sense still, especially in business. If you're a small business owner, good luck getting financing from a big bank right now. I can offer you a fantastic solution. If you're looking for $750,000 or more in financing for your business, First Liberty Building and Loan. Let's say you want to buy a new building or you want to refi existing debt or you want to buy a company. Basically, you see opportunity for your business to grow, but you've hit a wall with the mega banks getting financing. That's where First Liberty Building and Loan and my friends, the Frost family, come in. They solve small business financing problems better than anyone I've ever seen. They say yes, where big banks say no. It's that simple. Look, just do this. Spend 10 minutes with them. Call them, First Liberty Building and Loan, say Eric sent you. In 10 minutes, you'll know if you're a good fit for their program. Go to firstlibertyga.com. That's firstlibertyga.com. They help small businesses nationwide in all 50 states. Firstlibertyga.com.